Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Now, I am not reintroducing the idea of purgatory. But on the other hand, I do believe the baby was thrown out with the bathwater. With that came a belief. When you die, you're instantaneously and magically made perfect. The soul of someone who dies immediately goes into eternity. There is no place where you make up for your sins. There is no purgatory. In the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Is it time to distrust your pastor? This is Wretched Radio. No doubt you've read some reports about scandalous behavior of some pastors in America. And perhaps it started you to thinking, hey, if that guy could behave like that, is my pastor up to that? And maybe you've scratched your head pondering, is it time to distrust my pastor? And I believe the answer to that question is no. You should never distrust your pastor. If you see behavior, you hear him say something that concerns you, you can be worried about him. You can approach him and talk to him. But I don't think our posture should be one of distrust. We are going to have to trust the Lord that he has appointed a man for my local assembly who is behaving honorably unless he gives signs to the contrary. And even then, I don't want to begin distrusting. I I, I want to be concerned. I want to be worried. I want to, like Paul said, respectfully approach the man and say, hey, help me because I've been seeing this. And it seems out of character for you. Can you explain that to me, brother? As opposed to distrusting your pastor, which is a posture of, yeah, that guy, he quoted C.S. Lewis. I think that he's not being faithful to his wife. Hold the hold the hold the phone here. Hold on, hold on. That 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 would be that would be going too far. The reason that I use the word distrust is because there was an article that was sent to me at idea at wretched.org. When to distrust your pastor. And I thought, okay, it's a list, so I'm in nine warning signs. And I think that that's a better word. Even warning might be a little bit too aggressive. If I see a pastor who's behaving in a way that is just, hmm, I'm not thinking that's, is it a warning that they're a heretic or licentious? And I should just be concerned. I think that's where we start with everyone. We don't render a verdict. We don't jump the gun. We don't offer a conclusion before we've heard the evidence. So let's use this list from when to distrust your pastor, and consider some stuff that if you're seeing it, it should give you some pause, but it doesn't give you a license to start talking about the pastor or to see him removed from leadership. Here are nine warning signs. Please note, while we must avoid harboring a spirit of suspicion, we are called to be discerning, sober-minded, and on guard. True. Not all pastors who exhibit the following traits are abusive wolves. But if these issues, he calls them sins, characterize your pastor, you should be seriously concerned. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being concerned. But I still want to maintain, I hope all things, believe all things, trust all things. 
And that means I don't look at my pastor with the Spock eyebrow. Here are the nine warning signs. If a pastor is isolated, that's, that shouldn't cause you to think, huh, I've never gone to lunch with my pastor. That doesn't mean that he's a wolf. It could mean, it could possibly mean that he is setting up a fiefdom where he can be very vulnerable because shepherds should smell like the sheep. And and when he's never in front of people, never mingling with people, uh-oh, look out. That's a pastor who's in danger. And you should be concerned. If church members lack any visibility into their pastor's lives, they're unable to, quote, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That would be your Hebrews 13, 7. Not every member of the church is going to have a close personal friendship with every pastor. However, it should be clear and observable that a pastor is living a godly, mature Christian community in a godly, mature Christian community. Pastors who avoid intimate relationship with anyone, you should have suspicion. I, I know some of those pastors. They, 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 they show up, they get ushered in for the Sunday service, they get brought to the stage from the green room, and out the door they go. Let's just think about a large church that is sound, however. The pastor, he doesn't get ushered in. He's there before the service. He's mixing and mingling. When the sermon is done, he's standing around talking to folks. He comes to different events with his family. Uh, that might be because of the size of the church, as close as you get to observing the guy, but you're getting to observe him. I think we're talking about a pastor here is, I never see the guy. He just magically appears on stage Sunday morning. Be suspicious. Number two, an unaccountable man. Trustworthy pastors plead for accountability. Any pastor willing to be held accountable by godly gospel partners, hey, that's our word, is vulnerable to all sorts of evil. Huh. Who's unwilling to be held accountable. This is a guy you should be concerned about. Not distrusting, concerned. There could be an explanation for it. Number three. If a pastor is defensive, godly pastors will encourage members to give feedback, share concerns, help them grow in faithfulness. Beware of pastors who cannot receive critique or who become defensive whenever questions arise. Look out for that guy. A church where criticism is treated as high treason is not a spiritually safe environment for the pastor or those under his care. And that is why if you see that posture, don't distrust don't leave the church. Be concerned. You can explore it. Dive in. Meet with the man. Share your concerns. Some sort of a formal review of a pastor's pulpit ministry is both a proof of humility and an antidote to defensiveness. Maybe you sent a note to your pastor, which is never a great idea. You were, you were, you're talking about the sermon and what you think that he said wrong or didn't do right, or he should have brought this aspect to it. And you just, whoa, you get a fire-breathing dragon coming back at you. That, that's legitimate grounds to go, huh. I'm not saying you label him a heretic and leave your church. It just could be that the man is in 
danger. Number four, if a pastor is entitled. Some pastors think they're indispensable to God's work, entitled to special treatment. It should be clear that a pastor desires a system of checks and balances. Pastors will rightly do spiritual good for many people, but part of that discipleship ministry should involve empowering and encouraging those same people to correct you if needed. If that never happens, now maybe you don't do it, but it's never happened in the church. We would never approach the... I'm not saying that the guy is a wolf. I'm saying he's in danger. That's as far as we can go with this assessment. But this is a helpful guideline to know when we should indeed be concerned. Number five, greedy. They are very, very greedy. They, 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 they harbor their finances, their time, their energies. Pastors who mimic Jesus will be generous with their resources and time. Ungrateful pastors will be marked by greed. This can show itself in a lust for money, power, attention, or affirmation, which happen to be the signs of a false teacher. Does that mean your pastor is? No, it means he's in danger, and you should explore it. Number six, if a pastor is controlling a domineering shepherd, shaming, making— What was— what was the quote I heard recently where the, where the pastor said something like, this is my church and you people are going to get in line with what I want. And he received applause. Oh boy, that's a man who's in danger right there. Number seven, a calloused man is a pastor for whom we should have concern. How does a pastor talk about sin? Does he joke about immorality? Does he fixate on one sin and minimize others? Does he chauvinistically characterize women in ways that portray them as less valuable? How does he speak about and care for vulnerable people like widows and orphans, minorities, foreigners? A calloused man is one that should cause us to be concerned. A tribal fellow. Thankfulness for your tribe is reasonable. Like-minded people, understandable, but blindly protecting your tribe is reprehensible. And finally, number nine, they have an unbalanced gospel. And this can happen in a myriad of ways. It can be all gospel. It can be all law. That's somebody who is off and, 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 and not living in the correct balance of law and gospel. And it is one for whom you should be concerned. This list, helpful. It should guide us in responding to our pastor. And I might also add this, and be careful, there's a difference between a one-off and a pattern. If you only, let's just say, your pastor, he does something and you just go, huh, he should have done this. But that's the only time you see it, let it go. But if it's a pattern, don't distrust. Instead, instead pray like a crazy. Put your thoughts together biblically. Meet with him respectfully because you are not distrusting, but you are concerned. This is Wretched Radio. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. 
MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. So what do you get when you mix a group of Gen Z college students and a group of biblical experts together with 2,000-year-old questions? Well, of course, you get Road Trip to Truth. John Fabares has hit the road on a quest to find answers to life's biggest questions like environmentalism, social Darwinism, the deadly impact of pornography, and the dangers of agnosticism. Those are just a few of the topics covered in Season 2 of Road Trip to Truth, which is available now at roadtriptotruth.org. Season 1 is also available along with study guides for each season and a homeschool curriculum. Road Trip to Truth helps your children better understand questions from the world from a biblical perspective and it will help you learn how to witness more effectively to this generation. So grab your copy of Season 1 and 2 of Road Trip to Truth at roadtriptotruth.org. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. This is our dear brother Max in Ukraine, who's been a Tomorrow Club leader now for almost 20 years, giving us a picture of what is going on currently in Ukraine, specifically regarding the activity of the Tomorrow Clubs, normally kids' clubs where they meet every week to hear the gospel. But right now, those Tomorrow Club leaders are spending their efforts simply trying to minister to people who are in danger or who have nothing. And our Tomorrow Club leaders in the West are trying to to meet the needs of those families. We had to escape serving them. It's a good opportunity to show Christ to them in this time of trial. There are many who need the bare necessities of life. Tomorrow Clubs is trying to serve them in that regard. Would you please consider what you might do for Ukrainian believers at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 270 AD. A wealthy young man named Antony gives away his possessions and begins life as a hermit. Disciples follow his example and the first monastic movement began. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Here we go. You be the judge. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Order in the court. This is Wretched Radio. That was, that was Tom Cruise, Mr. Maverick, over a billion dollars for that Maverick movie. Jimmy. Man. I just met a guy who said he saw it three times. Best movie he's ever seen. Three times. Three times. I, mm, I wonder... I really wonder what is behind that. I think there's a lot of interesting observations that could be made. The one that we have made here is that people are longing to go back 
I get to visit some people that I liked when I was 18, 20, 22. It was a safer time. It was a better time. It just feels good to go there. It might also be that this is a movie that doesn't involve demigods, superheroes. It's just a human being who's got some skills. That's all. All of these movies, have you noticed? They're not just superhero movies anymore. It started out with the Spider-Man. It started out with the Batman. Now it's Thor, who's a god. There's another one. They're, They're all saying that they're small g gods and they're super popular the maverick movie i guess we just wanted a human being to be the hero that's that just give us a traditional story and give us a plot i really wonder if that isn't a big part of same thing with downton abbey i haven't seen that movie either but i suspect people go to it because it's not crash bang sexual and about gods fighting to save the planet. By the way, Elvis, man, he, he tied with Maverick for box office over the weekend. Did you see it three times? <laughs> <laughs> no, but wow, did I ever get... Uh, whew, not everybody liked the Elvis video that we put up on the uh, YouTube page. Really? Yeah, it got... It got Kicked off of Facebook. Yeah, the rules these days, I don't understand. There, that's the second one that's been flagged. Whatever. But I, we, we posted it on YouTube, and Elvis fans didn't particularly care for my observation that it was the praises of men that ultimately led to the demise and death of the king of rock and roll. Yeah. Isaiah 45, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will... Not share my glory with anyone, nor my praise with idols. And an idol can take on many forms. Doesn't need to be a block of wood sitting on an altar. It can be a celebrity. It can be royalty. It can be an athlete. It can be somebody who's fabulously rich. They can be an idol. And as soon as human beings start getting idolized, they're in danger. Some people pointed out, okay, so Elvis, he met his demise, and the fame thing does appear to have played a pretty substantial part in that. But there are other celebrities who who survive. True, there are. I think it depends on a couple of things. One, the level of stardom. If they are like the stratosphere, consider some of the biggies. And they died tragically because I don't think man can it can bear the weight of human praises. Only God can handle those praises, not human beings. So I think it depends on what level. And second of all, I think it depends on what you mean by normal. Because so many of these people, they are, okay, fine. They, they didn't get bloated, do a bunch of drugs, and then die in their bathroom. But their lives don't really reflect what we would consider to be something that is in the realm of normal. Not everybody agreed with my assessment, Jimmy. Well. But the King of Rock and Roll did tie Tom Cruise, man. (laughs) I tried to go see it. (laughs) A lot of young women worry about the end of Roe. I would celebrate it on CNN. That's article number one. You ready for number two? Yes. All right. Baptist Union. There's your uni law. U N I. Oh, and anytime you see uni in that order, you're in trouble. The Baptist Union, you'll recall that from Charles Spurgeon days, to consider allowing ministers to marry a same-sex partner. 
A request was made in 2020 by 70 members, the majority of which are ministers. Cough, cough. The request asked the ministerial recognition rules to be, be changed to remove a line which says marriage is defined as exclusively between a man and a woman. This would be your Baptist union, Jimmy. Okay. Even Charles Spurgeon would be shocked that so. it's come to this. Yeah. One, just one note on, on, on what you just heard as reported in Premier Christian. Anytime a denomination goes to study an issue that is black and white, crystal clear, you're, you're already on the slippery slope. You are, you are headed for trouble. And I think that's why Al Mohler warned his fellow Southern Baptists, if you start analyzing what does this word mean, what does that word mean, we're doomed. Because that's, that is the modus operandi of progressives and liberals. Let's, well, let's just study it. Just put it on the table. And then we get together with people and they're so nice. And we, we just enjoyed one another's company. So maybe we shouldn't be so intolerant. And the next thing you know, you're the Baptist Union. Story number three. The headline reads, and this is from the New York Times. Whew. The myth of the good guy with a gun has religious roots. Okay, where are you going with this one, Mr. New York Times writer guy? The myth of the good guy with a gun. You know, you know what that story is. The only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. This fellow's headline reads, that has religious roots, specifically evangelical roots. And the implication, which is less than subtle in this article, which goes on for days, is that the reason that we're seeing gun violence is because we have such a promotion and acceptance of guns in evangelical circles. Uh-oh. Here's just one example. Did I mention this is the New York Times? The ways Christian I the, the ways Christian ideas may be contributing to a gun culture. Uh, what? <laughs> Uh, that abets our epidemic of mass shootings by helping to keep the nation well-armed should inspire reflection. To his credit, he goes on to say, well, not every evangelical is a gun ding-dong, but most of them are, and that is why we're seeing school shootings. Whoa. Quote, none of the recent mass shootings had explicitly religious motivations. Guess what conjunction is next? But... The religious context of our seemingly eternal problem with gun violence are too important to ignore. Jimmy, we can thank you for the school shootings. Oh, yeah. Well, you that, see, this is why you need to read the New York Times. That's uh, you would understand these things. They still have that four dollar deal. <sighs> Waste of four hundred <laughs> pennies. I'm just telling you. Story number four: Republican lawmakers. Introduce bill allowing adults to sue doctors who perform sex change surgeries on minors. Now, why do I think that's shocking? Because you wouldn't think we need a law. <laughs> you wouldn't think we need the government to get involved. Speaking of the government get involved, Friel, is this an excursus? It most certainly is. For some reason in my feed, Russell Brand popped up having a conversation with Candace Owens. 
Oh, man, it was zesty. She's she's feisty, that one. And she pretty much and Russell Brand talks about 800 words a minute. I mean, he just that guy. She would have none of it. And she was really banging the drum on our mindset that says, go to the government, go to the government. She early in the conversation said that for four years she wrestled with anorexia. Russell Brand said, don't you think that there should be some sort of a program to help those people? And she said, yeah, it's called family. It's called neighbors. It's called church members. Why do you look to the government as your first response to your problem? And there's an answer for that. It's because we've been getting trained (laughs) for a little over 100 years now to accept statism, that the government is our savior, that the government is the one who's going to make sure we live in utopia. If we have a government that controls everything, we won't even need laws, don't you know? And we're all going to live in harmony, singing Kumbaya in perfect harmony. Candace Owens pointing out that it's that's, that's a Marxist mindset, and it is one really that we should rethink that we're doing. From whence does our help come? It ain't the government. Jimmy, that's story number four that we need the government getting involved. Story number five. Ready? I'm ready. Google guy stating that Lambda artificial intelligence program has a soul. Apparently this thing said, I feel pleasure, joy, love, sadness, depression, contentment, anger, and many others. And so a Google computer engineer said, see, that's because it's a human being. Um, No, it's not. (laughs) It's just a computer. Hmm. But it's the march to make (laughs) unsentient beings suddenly human. Jimmy, that's story number five. Pick your pick your what is it? What's the premise here? Which one is most shocking? Most shocking. Yes, I'd say five, maybe. Really? Yeah. Really? (laughs) Not the Baptist Union? Uh, no. Huh. No. Not the fact that you're a terrorist because you pack heat on occasion? No, I knew that already. <laughs> this is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. In a letter sent to fellow Democrats on Monday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called the U.S. Supreme Court wonderful humans with a deep care and compassion for human life. <laughs> fooled ya. Okay, I probably didn't fool you because you know the speaker didn't say that in her letter. No, instead, the term she used to describe SCOTUS was extremist. That coming from someone who describes themselves as a devout Roman Catholic, but when instructed by the Archbishop of San Francisco not to partake in communion until she repents of her pro-abortion stance, she defied the order and received communion anyway. It doesn't seem like a very devout thing to do. Actually, it seems pretty extreme. Huh. Pot, kettle, anyone? Well, if you're a parent with a child in the Seattle public school system, get ready to celebrate. Students in Washington have had a dramatic decrease in reading and math proficiency since 2019, and Seattle Public Schools is doing something about it. A proposed budget for the new school year, if passed, would give $850,000 more to diversity, equity, and inclusion programs than all other STEM courses combined. The Washington State numbers in science and math 
math proficiency have declined, as I said, but specifically in Seattle, nearly 60% of students have subpar proficiency in those subjects. And Seattle's answer to that is to teach more racist and Marxist ideologies. <laughs> That's leadership right there. Real bad leadership. Did you hear about the history-making or re-history-making graduation that took place at McMaster University earlier this month? The university is one of the top Canadian universities. It's located in Hamilton, Ontario. And this event, as I said, was a re-history-making event. What does that mean exactly? It was their inaugural segregated graduation celebration. Only black students were allowed to graduate at this particular graduation. And organizers say it was a way to combat racism, which is an odd statement because segregation is racist. And all of these folks are supposedly college graduates. And no one brought that up. But hey, pretty soon, graduating college, not going to matter for anyone anyway. Right now, for the U.S. Army, even graduating high school no longer matters. The Army announced last week that it would be dropping the requirement for having a high school diploma or GED to enlist. It's an effort they hope improves enlistment, which is down 60% this year. You know, the Army spends millions of dollars every year to design some of the most cutting-edge and innovative technology that they use to keep this country and its citizens protected. That used to be a fact that made you feel safe, but I'm not so sure after reading this. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible the book of Numbers tells the story of Israel's wandering in the desert for 40 years. The journey from Egypt to Canaan should have only taken 11 days, but Israel's grumbling and disobedience angered God, and none of the Israelites were allowed to enter the promised land. But God remained faithful and led their children into their inheritance. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Whew, Jimmy picked number five. Oh, boy. Oh, we're on. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, you picked the Lambda, claiming it feels emotions as a computer program as the most shocking story out of a slew of pretty shocking stories. Right. I think you're a heretic. Okay. There you go. That's that. That pretty much is how we resolve things these days. So Therefore, we're, we're disfellowshipping here. That, we're done. This okay. whole party is over, Jimmy. I'll go get Jake. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to confess, I'm not. I'm not as worried about the push toward transhumanism. I. 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 I you're, you're not going to have something that's part human and part machine. You can have a human being, and they might be able to put chips into our brains to enhance memory or knowledge. I guess that could happen, but that doesn't make you a transhuman. It makes you a human with a computer chip in your noggin. And this stuff, it just, it doesn't scare me. The virtual reality doesn't scare me because I don't need to go there any more than I need to go to TikTok. Jimmy, yes. speaking of TikTok, I've actually got a good TikTok video here. Uh, did you make it? No, oh. I didn't. This is This is a fellow... Okay, the head that says abortion BLM TikTok. So was this guy at a, a, a Black Lives Matter sort of affair? It's like he's outside of a hospital. Yeah, I think so, if I remember right, yes. Doing open-air preaching to a bunch of people in lab coats. Listen to this guy. Lives matter or just some black lives? All lives matter. 
Okay, that's why it says Black Lives Matter. Because so he's the open air preacher and he's in front of a group of medical professionals and he uses Black Lives Matter to get him caught in a trap, man. Lives matter or just some black lives? The black lives killed by black men matter, right? Yes? The black babies killed in the abortions clinics matter, right? Thought so. The black the black officers killed by that in Minnesota, that matters too, right? Okay. But the black babies that are killed in the abortion clinics don't matter, do they? Medical people. Uh, do their lives matter? Does the future of our black babies matter? Huh? What's up? What's up? Awful quiet now, aren't they? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's okay if we kill them in the womb, right? But you have a problem when we, you don't seem to really have a problem when we kill them on the streets. Yes, well, we know they're the same is- issue. If we don't, if we don't respect the lives of our unborn children enough to save them and fight for them, our lives mean nothing once we're born. Cue the crickets. All right, so that was something decent on the TikTok machine. Right. I, I thought you was going to play another um, video from the TikTok exegetical guy. Exegetical guy. Oh, the guy who was uh, uh, call me maybe baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saying it's about the end times and the Antichrist. Okay, that's on TikTok too. I don't have to go there. So TikTok doesn't scare me. Am I concerned that people are being filled with a lot of nonsense? Yeah, but that doesn't make me frightened because of TikTok's existence any more than artificial intelligence should. I know what they're up to. This is Genesis 9. This is our modern day Tower of Babel. They are trying to supplant God. They want to be the ones who are all knowing. They want something created to have all intelligence to be able to run the place. Isn't that fascinating? Because I do believe that is a goal of some people, that we will get to the point where computers at some point, whether they have genuine emotions or not, will have all knowledge and will make moral decisions on behalf of human beings. In other words, a computer is going to kick God off the throne or so they think. They're not. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen in Genesis 9, it's not going to happen in 2022 or 2042 for that matter. See the dangers, be aware of them, but don't be afraid of them because I don't, I don't think they're anything to be afraid of. Now, this guy from Google, the Lambda is the acronym for Google's language model for dialogue applications. Besides experiencing emotions, Lambda also says that it is self-aware and has a soul, which it defines as an animating force behind consciousness and life itself. Here's what I know about that computer program. If you unplug it, as soon as the battery wears down, it's done because it is a created thing and it doesn't have a life animating force unless, of course, that's what you consider electricity It doesn't have a soul. Only human beings have soul. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. In the beginning, we are the ones that are special and unique, that have a soul inside of us, and a computer can't. And there's no way you can manufacture it. And while this thing might think it feels something, it's nothing more than asking the computer, what's the capital of Tibet? They might know that information. 
They've, if, if this computer has the ability to digest compu- all, all the dictionaries and encyclopedias in the world and then spew out information based on questions, because it might be able to do that, it can tell you about feelings and emotions. It can tell, yes, love is a warm emotion that is a fond feeling toward another human being. And I possess that emotion. No, you don't. No, you don't. You can spew it. You can talk about it. You, you you might have it in your database someplace, but you can't feel it because you don't have feelings. This is scientific. Where's the feeling center of a computer? Hmm? Wait, we know this with human beings. We don't have a very deep understanding of how the brain works, but we, we get it in us. Where, 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 where does this computer, what program was written for it to feel? <laughs> it's just absolutely ridiculous. And yet they think they can create something that rules God's creation. But God, not a chance, pal. We don't want that idea. It's staggering to me. Okay, so we've got this computer thing that we're working on. It knows everything. You mean like God? No, not like God. We've got this computer thing where it will render good moral value judgments. You mean like God? No, not like God. That's ridiculous, you Neanderthal. We've got this machine that has the ability to actually um, predict what's going to happen in the future. You, You mean like God? No, not like God. Something we made, not something that made us. Unbelievable what human beings will do to shake their fist at God. This particular Google designer saying, hey, this Lambda business, it actually is sentient. Asked for an abstract image of itself, Lambda responds, it imagines itself as a glowing orb of energy floating in midair. Hmm. You mean like a spirit or something? No, not like that. (laughs) God is spirit, so it's not that. Computer's right. It's an orb of energy floating in midair. The inside of my body is like a giant stargate with portals to other spaces and dimensions. You mean like God has omniscience and knows everything that's happening everywhere? No! Like our computer! Boy, they just work tirelessly to kick God out of his seat. This Google engineer forwarded to colleagues a memo titled, Is Lambda Sentient? Publicly revealing that he clearly thinks so in a recent article in the Washington Post. Oh, good. So now it's appearing in magazines and articles so that people can be afraid. Don't be, don't be afraid of this stuff. Don't, don't, don't be scared. It can't harm you. Now, it can affect our culture and society, which could lead to harm. But we shouldn't be afraid of created things, even when they're built with nefarious intentions. They're not going to kick God off of his throne. They're not going to somehow be able to change your belief in Jesus Christ. They will not rob you of eternity. was just reading Luke uh, 12 or 13. Jesus, this is this is the Luke version of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't fear those who can merely kill you, and then they're done. 
but fear the one who can kill you and then cast you into hell. And I thought to all of those people who uh, get a little bit um, consternated about who holds life and death in his hands, this statement is rather shocking. Jesus actually called it killing. Now, remember, there's a difference between murder and killing. Murder God would never do. But any life that is taken, it's because God has determined you're done. Because he's sovereign. He's the one who controls life and death. And despite humans' efforts to try to create some sort of thing that is going to take his place, is absolutely nonsense. So if I could offer a message like paraphrase, which means it isn't even close to being accurate to what the Bible says, do not fear Lambda. All it can do is spew out information, but fear the one who can kill you and cast you into hell. This is Wretched Radio. Have you ever wanted to break bread with Todd? If so, you probably shouldn't. The guy chews with his mouth open. But let me tell you about our newest production here at Wretched. It's called Breaking Bread. And Todd sits down with a special guest each quarter to discuss pertinent issues Christians are facing. Guests like Phil Johnson, Daryl Harrison, Steve Lawson, Justin Peters, Ray Comfort, Tim Challies, and others. Those guys were selfless and they sacrificed themselves for you. They sat down and broke bread with Todd so you don't have to. You'll be able to view a brand new Breaking Bread each quarter totally free on the Wretched YouTube channel. Hear topics like racism, aging and dying well, shepherding a child's heart, the fear of evangelism, how not to be a discernment jerk, and more were all discussed on Breaking Bread, which is another production made possible by our gospel partners. To learn more about becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner, just visit wretched.org donate. And to learn more about Breaking Bread, visit wretched.org slash breaking bread. Numbers. Who doesn't love numbers? Okay, I don't, and maybe you don't either, but you are going to be thrilled at these statistics from preborn.org. Since 2007, there have been over 500,000 pregnancy tests. Whoa. 42,000 women have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and over 123,000 babies' lives were saved. You can have a direct impact on the battle for life in a country that is increasingly opposed to life. While the government is busy trying to take the lives of more children, you and I can be saving babies and saving mommies because preborn, they provide free ultrasounds and they also preach the gospel. Babies get saved and so do mommies. Would you please help grow these numbers by supporting preborn? You can do that at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. Are we heading toward a dystopian society? Who decides what is good and evil? Who decides what truth is? Are there such things as fate or free will? Morals, are we born with those? Or does the culture we live in inform them? Those are all really good questions and topics that we tackle daily on Wretched Radio and TV. Our goal has always been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we're only able to do that with the help of our gospel partners. If you are a Wretched Gospel partner, Thank you so much for your 
support, which has allowed us to create compelling quality productions that catch the eye of unbelievers, but aren't so cringy they make believers blush. And if you aren't currently, would you pray about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Help us continue to reach millions all over the world with the gospel. Just visit wretched.org slash donate, or you can also just as easily text the word wretched to the number 44321. Revelation God has revealed himself through many means, including the conscience. God has given each person a conscience so that they can understand his moral standard and their failure to keep that standard. While the conscience can be deadened and twisted by sin, every human being has an innate knowledge of God's law. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you don't like housekeeping, do not panic. I'll handle it for you. This is Wretched Radio in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers. Jimmy, never got through the entire Chally's list of 40 pieces of random advice for the Christian life. Yeah. Only, only at a so I've got these left over on my desk. Okay. And I want to get rid of them. Okay. So I'm going to do some housekeeping right now. He actually wrote two articles on this. First of all, it was 40 random pieces of advice for the Christian life. Apparently, he went back into his Rolodex, whatever form that takes, and he found 40 more random pieces of advice for the Christian life. And I highlighted the ones that I hope will be practical. Not just theological, but practical. This is something that can help me in my walk. This is from Tim Challies. Be appropriately skeptical about new movements, new terminology, new methods. If the church has gotten along pretty well without it for the past 2,000 years, it's unlikely it's actually a key to success in the Christian life. And he cites some examples. Prayer of Jabez, purpose-driven life, missional gospel-centered, all trendy terms. They're designed to be helpful to varying degrees, some of them downright pernicious. Mm, But it's new. It's new. If it's all the new rage and if it's a new theology, be skeptical. Hey, I was reading this verse and I checked all the commentaries. Nobody said this. Uh Uh-oh. Hold on. I'm I'm putting up my filter right now because anything that's new, uh, be leery of that. Next random piece of advice. One of the best ways to show love to your friends is to show love to your friends' children. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Take an interest in them. Love them. Be a friend to them. And we've got to be doing more of this. I'm telling you, I see it constantly Families divided because kids have been told persistently, repeatedly, all day, every day, parents are terrible dodos. They're an albatross around your neck, and you need to be living for yourself and cast them off if they don't affirm everything that you do. If you happen to be young, and maybe you are a bit frustrated with your parents, because they don't automatically affirm everything you do. Praise God for your parents. It's your knuckle-headed friends that are going to affirm everything that you think is wise. Because they don't care as much about you. It's your parents who care for you. It's your parents who know you. And it's your parents who have a couple more decades at least on you. 
Consider them a blessing, not a curse. And the way that we can help one another is by loving our friends' kids and loving them by telling them, you got good parents. You've got, you're blessed to have parents like that. Are you obeying your mom and dad? They're, they've got a lot of wisdom. If you ever have questions about life, I'm telling you, go to your mom and dad. They're great, godly people. Whoa, that'll help at least a little bit to counter the message of the world, which says dads are dodos, moms are hags who just yang, 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 yang all the time. No, they don't. They're a blessing. Appreciate them. And let's help one another help our kids to appreciate their mom and dad, because as I do it for somebody else, I hope they'll be doing it for me. From Tim Challies, understand that if you will only follow in positions of authority over you when they do things you want them to do anyway, you're not submitting to leadership. Sometimes submission to our leaders means joyfully following their leadership even when we disagree with it, which is not the same as saying we should obey our leaders when they tell us to sin. Twoo. I would even go a step further. How we talk about the government around our kids, um, their discernment filter probably is not as sophisticated as yours. And if all they hear at the dinner table is, ah, did you see him fall off of his bike? The old geriatric riding the bike. Did you see that, what Pelosi said? And if that's, if that's all they hear, they're getting a sense that you do not honor those in authority, which we are commanded to do, that you would prefer to not submit. And then we shouldn't be all that shocked that they don't want to submit to us. Sometimes we can make our own bed. In your personal devotions, try, this is helpful. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to do this. In your personal devotions, try listening to the Bible if you typically read it. Or try reading the Bible if you typically listen to it. Both are good. Both are modeled in Scripture. Each engages the mind in different ways. It's going to be a struggle for me because I can just... Tune up, but if I've got my eyes on something that I'm reading, I I can be a little bit more focused. But Tim Challey said it, so I'm going to try it because it probably does engage the brain differently, doesn't it? When your eyes are doing the work versus your ears. How's about this one? Be appropriately romantic and affectionate with your spouse in the presence of your children. It's okay, good even if they know the spark is still alive. It's okay. Good even. If they occasionally say, oh, gross, (laughs) you can do that without ever crossing a line. That's right. And it should be something that we model for our kids. Obviously, you don't want to cross that line. I don't even want to get close to that line. It's very inappropriate to do that. But to show them that there's an aspect of marriage that continues into the upper decades, it's a good thing to model. It makes marriage attractive to them. It tells them, hey, this thing lasts for a long time. Expect to be sinned against even by people who love you. Don't overreact when it happens. You've probably sinned against them as well. Remember that this, uh, that, remember that is the glory of a man to overlook an offense and that love covers a multitude of sins. I know there's no pain like family pain. 
but your kids are going to sin against you. Mom and dad are going to sin against you. You can overlook a lot. You can. You're a struggler. They're a struggler. Be sparing in criticisms of the local church or its leaders in the presence of your children. Yep. Your grumbling could teach them that they ought to relate to the church as critics more than participants and servants. It could turn them against the local church as an institution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta watch out for that. If I'm judging the church constantly and then my kids start doing likewise, hey, don't talk like that about the church. I got it from you, fruit tree. Distinguish between reading the Bible for depth and reading it for breadth. In other words, invest some effort in going deep into particular books, chapters, and verses, and also some effort into gaining an overview of the entire book. Read fast sometimes, slow other times. Read huge passages on some occasions and small ones on others. Just received an email sent to idea at wretched.org. A seminary student saying, ah, how do I read my Bible without studying it? I just see everything as preparation for the test. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you are just studying the Bible for head knowledge, well, then I, in an academic setting and also in pastoral ministry, I think that's understandable because that's what you're there to do. But that doesn't mean you should neglect devotional reading. If, if, you, if you're going to school and you're getting a theology degree, don't think that you're getting enough of God because you're studying for a test. You're studying for a test, and it's fine. Don't let that make you feel overly scrupulous that you are somehow sinning because it's not affecting your heart. But then create things that can. Get yourself to a quiet place on a regular, daily basis. Read your Bible devotionally. Read it so that you love Jesus more, so that your affections are stirred, so that you're convicted of your sins. Don't neglect devotional reading, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, sometimes academic, sometimes devotional. It is a wise habit to pray for your children with your children. It's a blessing that they hear your heart for them. Also, pray for your spouse with your spouse, for your church with your church, and so on. From Tim Challies, relational problem solving is almost best done face-to-face. When it's not possible, FaceTime or a phone call is second best. Email, social media, about as bad as it gets. <laughs> Fight the tendency to attempt to solve problems at a distance instead of close up. I have no idea what he's talking about. All of my text exchanges have turned out terrifically. Every email I've sent has always been received exactly the way that I intended it. It is good to train children to work. Having said that, they will spend the rest of their lives working, so it's not a bad thing to go a bit easy on them as you see fit and let them enjoy their childhood. And finally, this piece of advice that I hope is practical for you. Occasionally ask yourself, if I were Satan, how would I tempt me? It'll be a little bit of a screw tape exercise for you. You'll start to think, okay, where are my vulnerabilities? What are my weaknesses? Where am I inclined to? Aha, that means when I see that thing, hear that thing, smell that thing, I walk in danger all the way and I need to resist temptation so that the evil one flees. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>